community and as individuals is to depend deeply on you. It's a difficult uh, thing to put into words because it declares our own insufficiency and inadequacy. But Father, we want to be truthful and we want to recognize a movement of your spirit cannot begin if we feel that we're so sufficient in every way. And so we step aside, we open our hearts, we open our ears. Uh, We want to be people who speak the truth to each other and who speak words of life. And when people meet us, they can have met with you uh, because you fill our hearts. And so God, we want to be and learn from you today as to how to do that uh, in ways that would touch our motives and touch those areas of our lives that are maybe hidden uh, from others. So God, would you, Holy Spirit, come now and be our teacher as we look into your word. Um, We have already sung our intention to follow you, to have you lead us and guide us, and so we do that uh, not only through song, but also through teaching and hearing from you in that way. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Jared and team, for uh, leading us in that. And uh, we continue in our morning with a look at uh, 2 Samuel, which we started together last weekend. And Mike Ryder and Ruth Ellen and I are going to have fun teaching through the 10th book of the Bible in a series called Divided Kingdom. And this is our uh, family-inclusive format. And so I will mention that uh, today on your chair, when you came in, you may have seen two different colored pieces of paper. And so you'll want to get those out now because now is the time we're going to use those. And what we're going to do, one is kind of a green color and the other is, I don't even know what color this is. Salmon? Okay, salmon. It's like orangish, pinkish. We'll go with salmon. That sounds official. So we're going to do kind of some real-time engagement as we go through the story in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and 3 this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, you can take them out and turn there. And we're going to kind of use these to vote on your opinion and your understanding of what's going on in the story, all right? So if you're going to vote yes for something, that would be your green piece of paper, okay? So you're going to get ready to hold that up and say, yeah, I think this is going to happen, or yes, I I would be totally supportive of what's going to happen right there, okay? Now, if you're going to say not so much, or you're going to vote no to something, you're going to use your salmon piece of paper to do that, all right? So um, kind of like, you know, maybe a ref at a FIFA soccer game or something like that. So uh, you could also hold up both if you're totally unsure and you would like to kind of hedge your bets and make sure that the right answer is both ways, all right? So um, let's just do uh, a little kind of reminder of where we have come from. Last week when we were in 2 Samuel chapter 1, uh, we had a great skit by uh, Sienna and by uh, Jared and also by Kayla. And you remember what happened in that skit. We had Saul, who was the first king of Israel, and Saul died last week. So the question now is, who is going to be the next king of Israel? So you're going to get your cards out, and we're going to get ready to vote for this, okay? So now that Saul is dead, 
Who thinks that it's time now for David to become king over all of Israel? You can hold up your green card if you think now is the time for that. Okay? And if you think not quite yet, then David's going to wait a little bit longer. Then you would hold up your orange card, all right, to do that. So hold it up. Which one do you think? Green card. Let's go with David's coming king now. Orange card. Okay? All right. We've got a lot of green cards up in the air. Turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 2, and we discover now that David has actually been anointed king by the prophet Samuel, but it's not his turn quite yet to become king over all of Israel. You see, what happens is Saul's son becomes king, and Saul's son is named Ishbosheth. So Ishbosheth becomes king over Israel, all right? <clears throat> And then David becomes king over the tribe of Judah in the south. So we've got a little bit of a a conflict still here that's happening, hence the title of the series, The Divided Kingdom. So it's not David's turn yet. In fact, he's going to have to wait seven and a half more years before he becomes king over all of Israel. So we have now... Um, a war that breaks out between the forces of Ishbosheth, the forces of Saul and the family of Saul, and the house of David. So Ishbosheth's army is led by a general by the name of Abner. Abner is one bad dude. He is like a military strategist par excellence. He's been doing this for a long time. Like he knows what to do, and he is going to make sure that Israel wins. And under David's camp, we have a relative of David named Joab, who becomes commander-in-chief of David's armies while David was hiding out in the wilderness and on the run for his life. So both Abner and Joab are like military, serious military types. And there's nothing so helpful to communicate a serious military type as Lego. So... You may have, uh, if you've been around in the summers before, uh, worked with us, uh, and we've gone and looked at some of the stories in what's called the Brick Testament. Are you familiar with the Brick Testament? This is the Bible told in the uh, Lego. So I'm going to put up some pictures here, and you'll be able to see some of it. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, and I think you'll be surprised as to how lively the Bible can actually be in Lego. All right? So we're in. Samuel chapter 2, and we're going to begin by looking at one of the early battles between the army of David and between the army of Ishbosheth, led by Abner and Joab. All right? So I'm going to read from 2 Samuel chapter uh, 2, verse 17. Ernie, do you want me to switch? Okay, I'll switch. All right. So, we are in 2 Samuel chapter 2, reading in verse 17. And a fierce battle followed that day. You can tell it's fierce because it just, Abner looks absolutely fearsome in Lego. So, a fierce battle uh, followed that day, and all of the men of Israel were defeated by the forces of David, which wasn't actually how it was supposed to happen. The other team has a stronger army, but David's army is proving victorious. And then in verse 18, Joab and his brothers 
Abishai and Ashael, the three sons of Zariah, were among David's forces that day. And Ashael could run fast like a gazelle. And so he began chasing after Abner. And he pursued Abner relentlessly, not stopping for anything. And so he's chasing after him. Now, here's where we're going to get a little bit of voting going on. How many of you think that Ashael catches Abner? Put your hands up. Catches Abner and wins the day. Put green up. All right? And if you think, no, Ashael is not going to win this battle, put up your salmon card. Okay, well, it's kind of a bit about even. We'll see. Okay, all right. Well, we'll see how it goes. So Ashel's chasing after Abner. He's going to try and catch him. And Abner says to him, hey, get out of here. Uh, is that you? Go fight someone else, Abner warned. Take on one of the younger men. Get rid of him. Get, get, strip him of his weapons. But Ashel kept right on chasing Abner. And again, Abner shouted to him, hey, get away from here. I don't want to kill you. How could I ever face your brother Joab again? But Ashael refused to turn back. And so Abner thrust the butt end of his spear right through Ashael's stomach. And through Ashael's spear, the spear came out through his back and he stumbled to the ground and he died there. And everyone who came that way stopped by the spot and stood where they saw Ashael lying there in a pool of Lego blood. So Abner in this fierce battle, has killed Joab's brother. And even though Joab's army wins the fight that day, Joab has lost someone significant to him, and he is not going to forget about it. So here's where the story gets interesting. After a little while, Abner gets into an argument with Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth the king accuses Abner of doing something horrible and horribly wrong. And Abner gets all upset about it and says, he flips out and he says, you know what? Forget it. I am done working for you and Saul's family. I am going to take Saul's kingdom and I'm going to give it to David. And so he holds these secret meetings with the leaders of Israel and agrees to get them to come over and support David. So then Abner goes to David's capital, Hebron, and meets with him and to tell David, hey, listen, I've got, uh, like I'm acting as a double agent here. I'm going to bring over the tribes of Israel and we'll like get rid of this Ishbosheth guy and you can be the king over all. But there's a deep cost to Abner for this. So let's pick up the plot again in chapter 3 of 2 Samuel, verse 19, and I'm going to read through to verse 30. So 2 Samuel chapter 3 Uh, Verse 19, Abner has come already and met with David. And in verse 19, Abner speaks with the men of Benjamin. He goes to Hebron to tell David of the people of Israel how to agree to support him. When Abner came, David entertained them. They had a great feast. Abner said to David, let me go and call an assembly of all of Israel to support my lord, the king. We'll make a covenant with you to make you their king. Rule over everything. So David sent Abner safely on his way. But just after David sent Abner away in safety, Joab and some of David's troops returned from a raid, bringing back much plunder with them. And when Joab arrived, he was told that Abner had just been there and that visiting the king, and the king had sent him away in peace. So Joab rushed up to the king and demanded, What have you 
done. What do you mean by letting Abner get away? You know perfectly well that he came to spy on you and find out everything that you're doing. Okay, so let's vote again. Green cards, if you think Joab was deeply concerned that Abner was spying and was going to take this back and somehow use this information against David. And orange cards, if you think Joab was upset that he missed the chance to kill the man who'd killed his brother. All right? Green cards for he's really a spy, double agent, he's going to use this. Red cards. Okay. This might be one you could hold up both. I don't know. This could be a tricky one, all right? So both could be true. So Joab, in his mind, then gets to thinking, all right, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do about this? In verse 26, it says, Joab left David and sent messengers to catch up with Abner, asking him to return. They found him at the well of Sarah, and they brought him back, although David knew nothing about it. When Abner arrived back at Hebron, Joab took him aside at the gate as if to speak with him privately. But then he stabbed Abner in the stomach, and he killed him in revenge for killing his brother, Ashael. When David heard about it, he declared, I vow by the Lord that I and my kingdom are forever innocent of the crime against Abner, son of Ner. Joab and his family are the guilty ones. And then he gets really Old Testament on him. He says, may the family of Joab be cursed in every generation with a man who has open sores or leprosy or who walks on crutches or who dies by the sword or who begs for food. And so Joab and his brother Abishai killed Abner because Abner had killed their brother Ashael at the battle of Gideon. He says, may God repay the evildoer with an equal amount of evil. And then my favorite part, so David's helper says, so I take it that Joab's fired? And David says, let's not get carried away. (laughs) That's not in the text, but. You know, it can be fairly easy for us to read a biblical text like this and think, that's right, Joab's a bad guy in this story. He's the one who murdered innocent Abner in cold blood, and there's no doubt that that's true. But one of the things that we need to learn to do when we're reading the Bible is to dig a little bit deeper into the story and figure out not only what happened, but why did it happen, and why did the individuals do what they did in this experience? Look at their motives, because that helps us understand and hold up a mirror to our own lives. The Bible Uh, reminds us these things are written that they might teach us something about not just what happened, but something about our own hearts and the condition of our lives. And so we begin to then examine motives in our own lives when we look at stories like this. So we're going to broaden the lens a little bit, and we're going to do a little bit of digging and think about the motives of some of the people here on our whiteboard. So let's focus on the actions and their motives. So first we have Abner. And Abner, and thinking about it, Abner has said, I'm going to bring the kingdom over to David and hand it over to him. Now, from what we heard of the story, let's vote again. Do you think that Abner is doing the right thing in handing the kingdom over to David? Green cards, yes, if you think this is a good idea. Abner should actually do this. This would be helpful in some way. And then salmon cards, if you think, "Ah, I'm not so sure about this. This doesn't seem like it's going to go well for him. All right, so we get a mixed vote on that one again. Okay, interesting. So we'll see. Now, 
Abner's desire to hand the kingdom over to David might actually be doing the right thing because God has actually said that David is going to be the next king. And Abner, it says in the text that Abner actually knows this to be true. He actually voices that out. And so one of the questions that I have for Abner is, Abner, if you knew that to be true, why spend all this time then working actively against David and for Ishbosheth and for the house of Saul? I mean, if Abner truly believes this, why not act sooner instead of going to war against Joab and David's forces? Well, I wonder if he kind of kept acting up till the point that his feelings got hurt. And when Ishbosheth accused him of doing something, and then he said, you know what? Forget it. I'm actually going to act on this thing now and take the rest of the people here over to the house of David. And then suddenly he and David become best friends. To an outsider, Abner's actions might look great, but he's working to unite the kingdom. But his heart and his motives for doing that actually are probably not as pure as all of that. Because here's the challenge that I find that's true in my life, and it might be true for you. Sometimes you can do the right thing, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're doing the right thing, but it can kind of be just a charade that you're putting on for other people. We aren't doing the right thing because we believe it's the right thing to do. We're doing the right thing because we want other people to think that we're doing the right thing. Think of an action maybe that you're taking in your own or thinking about taking in your life. Maybe ask God for a few minutes to give you insight into your motives. Why do you want to do that? Or why are you doing that? Or why did you do that? Maybe it's a purchase you're going to make. But you're actually interested in the purchase, not in maybe making the right decision, but in making a decision that kind of communicates something to everybody else about uh, something that you want to, the image that you would want to present to other people. Maybe not even because it's the most financially wise thing to do. Maybe think about an apology that you need to make. Are you doing it because you have to do it? Or are you doing it because you're genuinely sorry? In a few minutes, we're going to go through a prayer that's been used by the Christian church through centuries to help examine our motives and sift through some of this. And it's really hard work, actually, to keep a soft and clean heart before God. But it's worth it. So that's Abner. He does what could be construed as the right thing for probably the wrong reasons, maybe not unlike us. So let's talk about Joab for a few minutes now. Joab, in his actions, he murders Abner. Well, why does he murder Abner? Well, it's pretty clear in 2 Samuel 3, verse 30, that the text says he does it for revenge. But what does Joab actually say to David? He says, Oh, my Lord, the king, um, I'm really concerned for the safety of the kingdom. Abner's a double agent. He's come to spy on us. I need to take care of this, so, king, that you'll look good. I, I'm doing your, this with your best interests in heart. But really, that's not true at all, is it? Joab's doing it strictly for revenge. And I wonder also maybe if Joab might be motivated a little bit by fear. Because when you read a little bit more about Joab's life, we come to understand that he's actually pretty new at his job working as a military commander. And Abner has a bunch more experience. He's the seasoned military victor. 
And I wonder if Joab thinks, man, Abner's bringing his army and the whole tribes of Israel over here to work for David. Maybe Joab gets a little bit fearful for his job security and thinks to himself, if Abner comes over, like, that's end for me, and I'm going to lose my place. And whatever the reasons that Joab has, their wrong thing is done. He murders a man in innocent and cold blood. And he probably does it for the wrong set of reasons. Any of those motives, revenge, jealousy, or fear, are not helpful. Even if he tells himself and others, I'm doing this to protect the king, he's operating under a pale of self-deception. See, whenever our motives get tainted deeply and we're driven by fear or suspicion or revenge, we're operating under a cloud of self-deception. And if you sense any of this in your relationships or in your conversations with people, then take it to God and invite the Holy Spirit to root that out of your life. In Psalm 139, David writes it this way and says, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me, David says and lead me in the way everlasting. See if there's anything offensive in me. See if there's any part of my motives that are tainted by fear or suspicion or revenge, and lead me out of that, God. Lead me to a place where I'm following you in a path of obedience. And you know, with Joab, one more thing before we leave him. Even if he is self-deceived in his motives, Joab actually does know that what he's doing is wrong and just how wrong his actions are. You see, there's another layer to this. Joab murders Abner outside of the city gate, and he takes quite care to actually do it outside of the city gate of Hebron. And when God gave the people of Israel the land that they lived in, God specifically instructed them to set up six cities called cities of of refuge. And these were places where a person who had done something wrong could flee to, and they could be safe, and they could be protected. And so these were spread all throughout the land. So if you killed someone by accident, and their family was going to come after you and get you, you could get to a city of refuge, and then you would be protected and safe while justice and mercy was figured out how that was going to be worked out. And Joab knows this. He knows that if Abner gets inside the city of Hebron, then he can't kill him there. So he specifically meets him outside of the gate and actually conducts his dirty business there. And Joab knows it. He knows that what he's up to, whatever his motives, even if he thinks they're pure, he knows that what he's doing is wrong because of the way he conducts himself. So let's look at our one last character in this, and this is uh, David. David, you know, we've uh, come, and the Scripture refers to him as a man after God's own heart, meaning he follows God, listens to God, uh, and walks in obedience. And even though he's a man after God's own heart, as we go through 2 Samuel, we're going to find out that David's not always, not 100% of the things that he does are after God's own own heart. See, David's not fully innocent in this deal either. David declares his innocence about the man who killed uh, another person in innocent blood. 
and says, I don't want to have anything to do with this, me and my family. And then he does what he did in chapter one. He writes a big song about it and makes everyone sing it uh, for the rest of chapter three. But even then, although David does nothing about it now, and he throws his hands up in the air and leaves it, he's not actually doing that in the same way that he did it with Saul. Remember last week we talked about and said David was so patient, God had given him the the ability to wait for God's timing with Saul. And so he didn't want to take matters into his own hands. Well here, with this situation with Joab, at the end of chapter 3, David says this, oh well, I can't do anything about Joab. He's just out of control. He's too tough for me to control. So I don't know if I want to do anything. But David's the king, right? Like he can declare his innocence all day long. But David actually probably could have done something about Joab. But right now, David does nothing. He waits and he waits and he waits. I don't know. Maybe David is conflict averse and just wants to not deal with it at all. Joab's still actually getting things done for him as a commander of his army. And so he's part of his family. And so military victories are going on. So maybe David just sort of says, I'm going to leave it. We're going to let it go. I'm not going to deal with it. And I'll say, oh, yes, God will deal with him. But at the end of his life, one of the very last things that David does is give an instruction to his son Solomon, who is the king. So spoiler alert, we're going to fast forward a little bit in the story here to the end of David's life. And his last instruction to his son is, hey, Solomon, you know, be a great king, all of that. He prays for him and pronounces a blessing over him. He says, oh, by the way, one last thing. I want you to kill Joab. And Joab knows that this is happening. And so Joab actually runs to the one place that he thinks he'll be safe. He goes into the temple and he clings to the horns of the altar, the most holy place where people come to worship. He's not even allowed to go in there. And David says, you know what? Go in and kill him anyways. And so Joab dies clinging to the horns of the altar. So David is not entirely as innocent as he makes himself out to be. He actually doesn't wait for God. He's going to help God out in this situation at the end of his life. One commentator says accurately, you know what, this whole affair with Joab, with Abner is a mess. But it would not be the first mess. It would not be the last mess. And it's actually not even the biggest mess that happens in David's kingdom. Even David acts out of places of fear and revenge even though he's described as a man after God's own heart. Ultimately, even David's actions are wrong and his motives are wrong. And one of the things that we're going to see just just because we study through 2 Samuel is that Bathsheba was not David's only mistake. So, what do we do with that? Where do we go from here? Well, one of the things that this story challenges me personally about is my own motives in my own life. Looking at the why question for me and hopefully for you as well. Why do I do things? Looking at my motives. It's actually a hard thing to do to really get underneath and figure out why I'm doing the things that I do. One of the useful tools that's been practiced for centuries by Christians of many different traditions is something called the prayer of examine. And the prayer helps us reflect on our attitudes, our actions, and our experiences in a bit of a structured way to discern and pay attention to God's presence, to discern his will, and to actively give us increased light into our motives. 
In its simplest form, this prayer contains five steps. And don't worry, you don't have to write these down. Posted them on our Facebook page. The first step of the prayer of examine is maybe not what you would think that it is. The first step is being grateful for God's blessings in our lives. The second step is reviewing the day with openness and with gratitude and looking for times where God has been present and times when you may have ignored him. The third part of the prayer of examine is examining our emotions, paying attention to our emotions because they can teach us something about what's going on in our lives and our motives. And they can pay us, teach us something about what God wants to teach us. And then the fourth step is to then express sorrow for sin and ask for forgiveness. And the last step is pray for the grace to be more available to God who loves you. This is a, a prayer, a structured prayer. Some traditions pray this at different times of the day. It's almost like looking at your day in the rearview mirror and then pausing at the end of every day and saying, God, where were you present today? I want to thank you for your blessings. I want to review the day looking at times when you've been present, times when I may have ignored you. Pay attention to what was going on inside your heart. Some people like to journal as a result of this process. Some people take that to a trusted spiritual friend or mentor or director and process that with them. Some people have a regular practice of just praying these things out, of verbalizing them before the Lord and letting the Holy Spirit nudge you to walk in greater holiness with regards to your motives. And so we're going to close this morning with a responsive reading that has been structured around the framework of this prayer. And so I'm going to ask Anne-Marie if she would come up and prepare to lead us in that. And so Anne-Marie's going to lead, and when it says on the screen, leader, that's when she's speaking. And then when it says on the screen, everyone, then we'll all verbalize that out loud together. And there's two spaces in this prayer that are noted for silent prayer. And so we'll just take a few moments when that's noted to reflect on our motives, spend any time confessing. And when the prayer is complete, this will function as our benediction uh, this morning. And so I'd invite you to participate in this prayer together. God, this morning we approach you with confidence and faith to express our gratitude for all of your blessings. Father, we thank you that your word promises us that you are near to all who call on you, to all who call on you in truth. We draw near today to say thank you for all of your good and perfect gifts to us. You have poured out your love into our hearts, and we humbly praise you for giving us more than we deserve. Make us truly thankful for your many blessings and increase in us more and more a humble submission to your will. Spirit of God, we pause to think about our day so far with openness and gratitude. We invite you to show us times when you have been present and times we may have ignored you.
gracious God. In these moments, please remind me of your presence and generosity. Give me the wisdom and courage to live gracefully with myself, others, and the world you have wonderfully made. Jesus, you have created us with minds and wills, hearts and emotions. Thank you that you call us to love you with all of who we are. We want to pay attention to our emotions in order to listen to you. God, thank you that you give us experiences of joy and peace in your presence. Thank you that we can know a sense of nearness and connection with you and that our emotions are part of who you have created us to be. We acknowledge also that we experience at times sadness, apathy, and disconnection from you and from one another. God, we come to you in a spirit of confession. We say that we are sorry for our sins and we ask for your forgiving love. Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a right spirit within me. Show me the way that I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Almighty God, as we go into our week, we pray for grace to be more available to you. Ever-present Father, help me to meet you in the scriptures I read and the prayers that I say, in the bread I break and the meals I share, in my investments at work and my enjoyments at play, and in the neighbors and family I welcome, love, and serve for your sake, that your love and peace may reign now and forever. Amen. Amen invite you to go in God's grace and in his peace and to practice attentiveness to his spirit as you go through your day and your week. Amen.